Welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land. Week one is in the books. Uh, I am your host, George Eisner, with my co-host, Gene Ross. And Gene, it is a uh, beautiful Saturday afternoon coming off a uh, 52-17 win for the Buckeyes over the Cornhuskers. How are you doing today, Gene? It is a glorious fall Saturday. The leaves are crisp. The Buckeyes are back. Justin Fields is back. Things are looking good. Some things are looking not so good. But for the most part, I mean, not much to complain about in a 52-17 win. And, you know, it's just it's good to be back. The Big Ten is back, and I couldn't be happier. It is certainly refreshing to see Scarlet and Gray on my television again. I was uh, very, very pleased to see that. And, uh, yeah, definitely some turbulence in the early going. Never a, never a great sign in any season, let alone one that's been as wild as 2020 uh, when you give up a touchdown two plays in. But uh, Buckeyes went on a 52-10 to 10 run after that. A uh, little bit of uh, opening confusion and uh, mayhem on uh, the hands of the Nebraska offense. But we definitely saw a lot of good things, definitely some room for improvement. Uh, so, you know, as we're uh, here to recap the game uh, going into week two, let's just uh, get right into it. So I will uh, I will say one of the things that really stood out to me um, in this game, just, just kind of as a general atmosphere thing, I, I think a lot about, home field advantage and the impact that a crowd has. And I've always, you know, there, there's been a lot of opponents over the years that have come to um, the horseshoe and have said that, you know, the, the, the crowd definitely doesn't have as much of an impact as it does in other places like death Valley or happy Valley or the big house, or you just don't feel like the crowd is as much on top of you. And for the most part, even as an Ohio state fan, I've actually had to somewhat agree with that. I've I've never really felt like the the you know even though there's a always consistently over a hundred thousand people that are in that stadium you never really feel like there's as much of an impact in terms of the crowd as there is in a lot of other places and I know I know Matt Barkley I think when he was at USC was I think one of the most famous examples I, I'm sure Baker Mayfield probably said something too when he came to Columbus and upset the Buckeyes but I I think today. You know, I, I'm not sure how many other fans would agree with me on that take, but the the la- at least in the early going, I think the lack of having that fan atmosphere was extremely apparent, particularly on the early drives where Nebraska had a lot easier of a time communicating and you know just making sure their offense was in sync and being able to, you know, you, you would see that they would come to the line and then they would be very easily able to communicate with their sideline. Um, you know, what, what defense they were seeing, getting an audible in and then resetting the play and then running something that was going to get them more yards than what they originally called. And I think that's a trend that we've seen a lot in the NFL too this year with the, the reduced fan capacity. But I, I did think today that, if you were someone that like me that doubted the impact that that home field advantage, particularly um, that exists for Ohio State, if you doubted the impact that that had, it was it was fairly apparent today with how much Nebraska just was able to settle down and be calm and make this game more competitive in the first half than it probably should have been otherwise. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think the I think Ryan Day and Kerry Combs both said in their post game press conference that like it was weird, you know, getting out there without the fans. They didn't have the crowd noise and all that stuff, and I think that does play a role, especially early on. Like you said, it's a lot easier to you know get audibles called and read the defense, hear what everybody has to say when there aren't a hundred thousand people yelling at you when you have the ball. And I think that does play a role early on. And a lot of things I think too, when when you're playing a team, like when Nebraska comes into Ohio State, it's all it's a big thing is confidence to get a game going. And like their first drive, they got that touchdown. 
And that really helps, I think, with their confidence. So like if they would have come out, they get stopped, Ohio State scores right away, then it's like, all right, we're clearly overmatched in this game. Like, I don't know how we're going to compete. But when you come out and you hit them right that right away and you take that early lead, I think that really helps the team's confidence. And like that really gets you going. And I think that really propelled most of their first half, just that first score, just knowing that they could like play with these guys and they weren't intimidated by a crowd. And I think that really did a large part in them like sticking around in the game for as long as they did. Well, I will be eager to see fans in the stadium again in lieu of uh, uh, Fox Sports crew cutouts littering the uh, 100 row throughout uh, the horseshoe. But getting away from the uh, the crowd for a bit and getting back to you know what we saw more on the field, um, I think just in terms of we should probably start with you know I guess more of the negatives before we go into the positives. Uh, it it did feel like at least in the early going that the running game left uh, a little bit to be desired. Um, I know it ended up being a blowout, but the fact that we saw, I think, six different players uh, get carries today, um, I was a little bit surprised to see Master Teague get a lot more early burn uh, than Trey Sermon did, just given Sermon's experience and what we've heard about, you know, his performance and practice and everything. Um, and Teague, it, you know, other he, he looked good running the ball on the goal line, but that we we knew Teague was fast, but we he also had a bit more of a I guess a power running element to him last year than I think he got credit for, and we really just didn't I think see that as much in the early going. And I know he's coming off an Achilles injury, but it was it was still disappointing I think just to see we didn't really see that kind of Mauler mentality that I think the running backs and the offensive line had last year. And I think part of that is you know the, none of these guys are J.K. Dobbins at least not yet that we've seen. But it uh, the running game definitely has room for improvement. And I think the main thing that sticks out to me more than anything else is for as good of a day running the ball as Fields had. And he had that uh, spectacular. I think that was their third touchdown. They scored the game when he took it in from, I think, about like 20 yards out and had that beautiful inside spin move to get into the uh, the end zone. But I, I always hate to see when Fields ends the day leading the team in carries. And he did finish with three more than Teague today, four more than Trey Sermon. And any time that he's creeping up above 15 or something, that just always gives me uh, cause for concern. Yeah, if you would have told me going into today that Ohio State's leading yards per carry for the game would have been freshman quarterback uh, Jack Miller, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have believed you, but that's where we're at. And to be fair, he only had two carries, but he had 23 yards, so at 11.5, he had the highest average. I mean, behind him, Steel Chambers was honestly looked the best in his limited role, but he too only had four carries, so it's tough to tell. I think Trey, uh, Trey Sermon and Master T can be successful, but like I wrote in my recap, make sure to go read that on landgrandhoyland.com, I don't like the way that Ohio State does these quarterback splits they did the same thing when they did it with Weber and Dobbins and they do it on a series to series basis instead of like on a scenario basis so like on there was multiple third and ones early in the game where Ohio State it was a Trey Sermon drive and they just stuck with Trey Sermon no matter what and that's a scenario that I think is way more suited for a power back like Master Teague. I think Trey Sermon's much more of a speed guy, cut to the outside, pick up big chunks of yardage. Master Teague's more of an inside the tackles, pick up those tough yardages. And I just don't like how they go kind of like a series to series. I don't know if they'll switch that up or if they'll continue to do that. But I think using the running backs in a more situational role rather than just saying, all right, this is Teague's drive, this is Sermon's drive, this is Chambers' drive. I think that would better suit this team, and I think they'd be way more successful that way. And uh, on the flip side, I mean, that does make you more predictable. Like if other teams see Trey Sermon, they kind of know the kind of style of offense you're running, and then when they see Master Teague, they know you might switch it up. And so I see why that could be a problem. But I just think like we've seen this before. We saw it with the Dobbins and Weber. I just don't think that the series-by-series split with the running backs really works all that well in Columbus. 
I do agree with that. And I, I think that you want to be careful about not showing too much of your hand in the first game here. And I, I, I would hope that just kind of the natural progression based on how, you know, you, you've just seen both of these guys work is that you do see Teague as more of that between the tackles runner as the season goes on. And then as you get into those third down situations and obvious passing down situations, you see a guy like Sermon who's gotten a bit more of uh, experience just catching the ball out of the backfield in his time in Oklahoma uh, get get used in that way. I think Sermon only finished with one catch today, so we really didn't see get to see him in the in the pass catching role. And you know, for how dynamic Ohio State's offense was last season, uh, that really wasn't something, unfortunately, that you got to see a lot. Just because if there was one critique you had for Dobbins, it was that he had inconsistent hands, and Teague just you know didn't really have the experience to be handling that kind of dynamic workload outside of just getting the ball on uh, obvious running situations. So I I would hope that uh, we do see that kind of evolution um, as the season goes on. And I think you probably will. Again, it's important to, you know, not make it obvious, you know, what your whole game plan is going to be going in and how you're going to use your guys. And I think that, you know, you, you definitely saw a lot of first game jitters, um, you know, not just from, you know, an execution standpoint, as we saw early in the game, but also from a play calling standpoint, just in terms of uncertainty and you know, how they really wanted to use guys as this game kind of unfolded. And I, I think they got a little bit more comfortable as it got towards the end and stuff really started to become obvious garbage time. But uh, I I do agree with you that we we do need to see, um, you know, if this if this offense is going to realize its full potential, that we have to see a bit more of a, a fluid uh, utilization and, and substitution of uh, how the running backs get used. Yeah, and I don't think it's anything really to be overly concerned about. Ohio State will figure it out. Ryan Day is a pretty smart guy. I'm sure he's he's in the lab already getting ready for next week. But like uh, the offensive line, I mean, I think they'll be really good too. They were they were okay today. I mean, it takes a little while for offensive lines to gel, even though they are returning three starters. You know, you, you got to work those two guys in there. So I think they were good. The pass protection could have been a little better. Justin Fields was sacked four times. A few of those were because he was trying to extend plays, so it's not all their fault. The run blocking was meh at best. I mean, there was there was one play where Trey Sermon had a very big lane to his right, and he cut to his left instead. So like there were times where they were opening lanes, and it just wasn't being seen. And, and that's all, like you said, that's first game jitters. But I mean, the passing game was out of this world. I mean, Garrett Wilson in the slot is going to be a problem this year for opposing defenses. And Chris Olave was Chris Olave once again. It was honestly kind of surprising for how much we heard about Ohio State's like wide receivers how little they really did sub. It was really just Garrett and Olave and not a lot of anybody else. Smith and Jigba was the only other guy with more than one catch. And so, I mean, they didn't really spread the ball around, but Justin Fields was awesome, 20 for 21. The passing game looked good. It didn't matter who was out there as long as the guys were getting it done, and they were. And Ohio State's offense as a whole, I thought, looked really good outside of a few miscues. It is really incredible that Fields, his only incompletion of the game was on a, a drop in the end zone that was totally fair for Olave, given he had his legs taken out from underneath him while he was trying to make what would have been an incredible catch. But if he had, you know, if he had been able to pull that down, I mean, Fields didn't miss a pass today. And the fact that it, it's one thing if, you know, when you see guys that have that kind of high completion percentage, they're typically spreading the ball around a lot. The fact that he really only leaned on two receivers the entire game, only completed two passes to his tight ends, one pass to his running back. I mean, it, it, it's just the the guy is playing absolutely lights out football already. It, it's that was one of the 
That might, that might have honestly been the best game that I've seen him play just in terms of efficiency. And the, the, I think the stats would back it up. I mean, when you only miss one pass on over 20 attempts, it's just complete. Even I, I know it's stating the obvious when you say it out loud, but it's just you, you don't see guys do that, particularly at, you know, that that kind of power five level. It's just really uh, Justin Fields absolutely blew me away today. I, I will say that that the one Again, you, you you have very few critiques of these guys, but when you know the the standard for excellence is so high, the 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 miscues kind of just stand out a little bit more. And the one problem that I think Fields had a lot of last year was a bit of overconfidence in himself and being able to make every single play. And that would sometimes manifest it itself in him just holding onto the ball too long and taking unnecessary sacks. And unfortunately, you did see a bit more of that today, as you said, with the the four sacks that the the team ended up with. And you can, you know, pin some of those on the offensive line. You have to give credit to Nebraska for executing their pass rush. But that that is something that ends up looming much larger as you start to get into championship season and you start playing much more competitive teams with better pass rushes that are going to be able to make you pay for that. And I, I would hope that that's something that Fields learns from as the season goes on. And but again, I, I really don't want to harp too much on, uh, you know, what was otherwise a really just an exemplary performance for any quarterback today. I mean, Fields just looked absolutely incredible, not only uh, passing the ball, but I mean, that that touchdown run that he had might have been the best run that I've seen him have uh, just because that that inside spin move at the end was just absolutely fantastic. So we, we knew he was a dynamic guy, but. Uh, you you got to feel really good about what you saw today, and if you're a Georgia fan, you're uh, definitely eating your heart out right now. <laughs> oh yeah, the S- the SEC fans were having a ton of fun with Georgia today. The, uh, Justin Fields, the the man was lights out. I mean, he was hitting his throws at every level. He was hitting those deep outs that Ohio State likes to do. He had that beautiful pass over the middle to Garrett Wilson for that long touchdown. Though even his one incompletion was a dime to Chris Olave in the end zone that he just couldn't come down with fighting with the corner. I mean, he the man didn't miss today. All of his decisions were pretty much good. And I think even with the sack stuff, like you'll. Kind to live with that with Justin Fields just because of how good of a playmaker he is you know like half the time he does that he will find a guy and he'll get the first down he'll find a guy open it's like you almost, you almost kind of live with that in the offense like he'll take some sacks but at the same time on some plays like that he'll get you 35 yards so it's you know it's a live or die thing and I, I'm always going to live with Justin Fields so whatever he wants to do is good with me I, I would agree with that um, so let's, let's pretend for a moment that those first two plays, uh, didn't exist where Nebraska ripped off a what 45 yard gain on a counter play. And then, uh, Martinez keeps the ball and easily trots into the end zone on the next play. So let's putting aside those first two plays, uh, we saw 10 points from Nebraska, the end of the, uh, rest of the way. Um, what did you think, uh, what, what, what were your just takeaways for the defense? I guess this game, just in terms of room for improvement or what really impressed you, uh, just what, what stood out to Eugene? Yeah, I thought the back end of the defense was actually really good. Um, I thought the corners, the new corners played well, seven banks, especially, you know, he had that big fumble return for a touchdown. He looked good. Sean Wade could have had an interception early on that he just dropped, but the ball is he played it beautifully. He almost played it like a safety where he came out from nowhere and like got in front of the wide receiver to play the ball. So I think the secondary actually looked really good. And I mean, the defense, from what we saw, I mean, it's the same problems that kind of plagued Ohio State last year. They struggled with the quarterback run. Nebraska realized it early, and then they basically made their entire offense the read option. You know, we talked in our preview about how 
last game, Nebraska had that one drive where they went to a triple option and it caught Ohio State off guard and it worked. And that's only, they didn't go triple option today, but the, the read option, they really like, they built their entire offense around that because they knew Ohio State struggles with it and they did. I don't even know who to blame. I mean, the defensive line was okay. They didn't get a ton of pressure on when he, uh, Martinez did drop back, but I thought they were good overall. I mean, Haskell Garrett is an incredible story that this, this man was shot in the face like a month ago, and now he's one of Ohio State's best players on defense. Like this game, he looked awesome today. I'm really proud of him for coming out. That was a really cool moment for him to get that sack, I'm sure, after everything that he's gone through both personally and as a team this season trying to get back on the field. And so I think overall the defense is good. I mean, I think the linebackers are a bit of an issue. Um, we know everybody's favorite linebacker, Mr. 32 over the middle. Uh, he had a tough day, uh, no pun intended, but, uh, I thought Pete was okay too. I think Pete's going to get better as the year goes on. He seems to do that each year. I, I do really like Pete Warner's game. I think he's, and he's still adjusting to that new role. He switched over to the other side. So I think he'll get better as the year goes on, but overall, you know, the QB run killed them. But other than that, I mean, they looked good. I, I, they've struggled with that for a while, and they struggle with it now. But that's nothing you can – you can just fix it with coaching. They, they've got the guys to do it. Yeah, I will say, unfortunately, Jen, I mean, this is just based on one game, but kind of a similar trend with the offense where the, the few criticisms that you could make, it does not appear as if they have uh, necessarily been resolved or shown any uh, improvement, at least in the early going relative to what we saw last year. And I mean, this team for a lot of years has been really burned on those read options and uh, the ability for the quarterback to just run and uh, improvise into a scramble out of uh, passing situations where Ohio State ends up giving up perhaps more yards than they should. And I do think that a lot of that has to do with the uh, talent at linebacker. And it is it is a bit funny that the three leading tacklers today for Ohio State were all their linebackers in Pete Warner, Tuff Borland, and Baron Browning. And yet here we are, you know, focusing on them as the the main criticism for what needs to improve going forward. I will say that Browning, uh, particularly last year, really started to come on as he got more snaps and, you know, got a little bit more burn in bigger moments. And I anticipate that'll be the same thing uh you know, just going forward as the season progresses. He's just kind of a guy that I think that as the season wears on and it gets more comfortable and, you know, just kind of has a better feel and understanding of where he is relative to the rest of the defense, that he's someone that's going to be able to make more plays. Uh, Pete Warner, we know, is a really talented guy and, uh, you know, really sharp and was the team's leading tackler today. And I, I anticipate that, you know, even though, he is a little bit more undersized than, you know, I think what you would like out of that position. He'll, he'll probably just keep coming along. And unfortunately, yeah, we know, I mean, built Ford tough Borland. It is what it is at this point. Um, he, uh, he just does not have the speed to be able to play middle linebacker at this level. And I think that that's probably going to be the Achilles heel of this Ohio State defense for however much longer he stays here. There was a there was a photo tweeted out by a friend of the program, Patrick Mayhorn, of Ohio State in coverage. And it was uh, Baron Browning lined up right on his receiver. Pete Werner lined up right on his receiver. And then the tight end standing wide open over the middle and Tuff Borland standing about 10 yards to his right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's become tough to stomach after I don't know how many years of watching it consecutively, but he is one of uh, only two three year captains in the history of Ohio State. And uh, we, we do wish him well and we appreciate him for all of his leadership qualities. We just wish that he would, uh, you know, at some point over the offseason, maybe develop a little bit more explosiveness than uh, what we've gotten to see uh, in years past. But in any event, I'm sure he's a great guy. I like I'm sure he's a great human being. I'm sure he's a great teammate. The team seems to really like him. It's not his fault, I guess, but it's just it's just tough, you know. 
it is tough. It's in the name. It's built into the name. It's literally but, his uh, name is tough. Yeah. But to, you know, I, I guess and on a more positive note here, uh, you know, to what you were alluding to earlier, um, I'm we one of the big things that we talked about on the, the preview show was a bit of concern over um, what kind of depth we would see with the interior defensive lineman. And uh, we did see a good game from Tommy Togiai, but I don't think either of us anticipated that Haskell Garrett was not only going to get to play, but get the start. And uh, he had a couple big moments today where he really showed up and uh, he did he did finish with one of the teams, I think, three, three or four sacks, uh, three sacks on the afternoon. And uh, if if the, if he's going to be able to give them a boost uh, this year to the point where, you know, Togi is able to stay fresh and they're able to just get another you know bit of rotation on the defensive line just from him coming in. I mean, I. I, I'm I'm much more excited about what the defensive line's gonna be able to contribute with, you know, a, a a senior veteran like that back in the fold. And not just that. I mean, I when when you've got a guy coming in like that, you know, that that just, you know, got is recovering from a gunshot wound to the face just two months prior, you know, while he was, I think, defending a woman in a domestic dispute. And I mean that I don't know how that that's the kind of person that you want to go to battle with. I mean, that 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 has to just be such an inspiration to not only the people that line up next to him on the defensive line, but everyone on Ohio State's defense in general. I mean, that that has to be such an uplifting thing. I would hope that maybe, you know, they make him an honorary captain or something, given, you know, all that you know, the courage and work that it takes to fight back from something like that. But I guess we'll, we'll see as the season goes on, but I, I really just got to tip my hat to Haskell Garrett, man. I, I can't wait to see what else that guy does this year. And, you know, it's, it's really encouraging, um, you know, to see a guy given all uh, how much work all these guys have put in to be ready for the season, but to work back from that on top of everything else, just, you know, you got to get, you got to give props and kudos where they're due to Haskell. So Hats off to the man. Yeah, and for anyone like who has concerns about the defensive line, I don't think this is really a great game to base it off of just because Nebraska didn't really drop back to pass all that much. It was a lot of option stuff. It was a lot of Martinez like making one read and then immediately taking off. So like it's kind of tough to tell how good they really are when the there's not a lot going on in the backfield. There aren't a lot of plays for them to be made. Like they're not Chase Young. They're not gonna be able to chase you down in the open field like that. They're there to get to the passer. And they Nebraska basically didn't even have a passer. They just had all running backs in the backfield running the option play. And I mean, for what it's worth, it's actually like for as good as Nebraska ran the ball this year, it's actually not like that crazy because last year, Nebraska had 184 yards rushing against Ohio State somehow, even though they only scored seven points. And that was the second most that Ohio State let up all year. So Nebraska has had a tendency to like do well in the running game against Ohio State. So even as good as they did, I don't think there's like that much to be concerned about overall. I mean, Martinez had 77 yards himself and McCaffrey had 87 and most of that came on that big early run so I think the stats are a little skewed and I think that it's not as big of a problem as people may think it is early on yeah not necessarily I do I do think it's interesting that Martinez um, ended up finishing with more carries than he did completions on the afternoon even though he only attempted I think 15 passes Um, but he, you know, he still had a pretty high completion rate, but they still only threw for about 105 yards before they put Luke McCaffrey in. And, uh, you know, they, they did have two different, they had three different rushers actually on the afternoon that all finished with over five yards per carry. But again, I think that, you know, they, they, they're very committed to being able to run the ball. And, um, I think that was reflected in their early on game plan before the game started to get away from them a bit. I, I don't think that they really just had the, 
you know, outside of Wandale Robinson, they didn't really have the skill players, uh, you know, playing on the outside or in the slot that were going to be able to punish Ohio State's secondary and, uh, you know, present an opportunity for them to come back once Ohio State had pushed ahead. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I do think overall it was a fairly encouraging day from the defense. Just they got, I, I don't want to say punished, but they, they did get, you know, kind of hit in the mouth early and they had to wake up a little bit. And I think that they definitely did that sooner rather than later. And one thing that I, I think you can consistently say about this team or Ryan Day's Buckeye team that is carried over from the Urban Meyer era is that they make excellent second half adjustments and they only gave up three points in the second half actually technically outscored Nebraska in the second half with their defense because of that seven bank scoop and score um so yeah I I think that you're seeing a lot of really encouraging signs early on um just from this one game alone even despite the hiccups that we saw in the first quarter I, I can we talk about how ridiculous it is that Scott Frost kicked a field goal down like a million from like the five yard line like I, I know you're, I know you're not gonna like, you're not world beaters out here. It's, it was like fourth and five, and it was you're, you're at Ohio State. You're trying to win a game as a huge underdog, and you kick a field goal. Like wh- what? You, you have to give the illusion of competitiveness if you don't think that you're actually gonna be in the game. So you know what? They, they, they just gotta get points where they can, and uh, it is still kind of funny that they ended up with a zero uh, in their score line on the fourth quarter. So they. Really only end up finishing that with three. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that once it, it's very, I would be very curious to see how many teams have come back against Ohio State when down three scores, because my, my role in college and, you know, I'm, I've been a loyal Buckeye fan for pretty much since I was in third grade. So going back to like 2002, but even my rule in college was. I'm at the game. I mean, it gets cold there, man. If they're up three scores to Indiana at half, I'm going home because I, I can watch the game from the comfort of my couch and have a nice cold beverage and be nice and and warm and and around you know friends and not you know huddled into you know close proximity with a bunch of other people I I, I don't necessarily know. And, uh, you know, I, I still have the comfort level that I'm not going to miss anything super significant in terms of them winning. So I would or, or them surrendering a lead rather. So I I do wonder how much that carries over to the other teams that are playing them in terms of once you you know, how quickly do you feel like the game's getting away from you to the point where you still keep trying it? And I think that's a little bit reflected in the fact that, you know, Luke McCaffrey got a little bit more burned than I think we expected, even though. Um, you know, Scott Frost didn't necessarily commit to keeping Martinez uh, as the starter for a long time. But in any event, he's still Luke McCaffrey still got more burn than I thought we'd get given Martinez is clearly going to be the the horse that carries this team this season if they're going to have substantial success. Yeah, I um I, I think there's a good chance Nebraska ends the season with Luke McCaffrey at the helm. Adrian Martinez is just a turnover machine. I mean, he, he didn't throw any picks today, but he still managed to fumble. It's just it's tough. He used to be this this really good Heisman candidate guy, and it just it seems like he can't find that anymore. And I don't know what happened there. I don't know if that's coaching or if it's just a mental thing with him now because he's just thinking about it so much. But I think there's a good chance we see Nebraska end the season with uh, Luke McCaffrey at quarterback. I'd say you're probably right about that. But I think that enough speculating on uh, Nebraska's backfield. Um, we, you know, we we did give some uh, life back to the uh, Hangout in the Holy Land Twitter account, and one of the favorite t- traditions we have of that is uh, taking questions uh, from people on Twitter after the game that are curious. So, 
Uh, I think we should probably jump into a few of those. Yeah, that's so, probably a good idea. Uh, also, before we get to that, just shout out to us. Our predictions were pretty damn close last week. I said 48-17. I was off by four points. I almost yeah. nailed it. I, th- I think I was more shallow, right? I said 42-10, I think, something like that. Uh, yeah, so I was, uh, I was off by 10 points and uh, seven in favor of Nebraska. But you take out those first two plays and, uh, yeah, they only got 10 points for the remaining, what, uh, 55 minutes or so of the game so yeah i guess i guess we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit it's it's the first game so you know we got our own jitters too when it comes to the prediction so i'm not you know gonna quite go patting myself on the back yet but i i do give kudos to you you were a little bit more in the ballpark than i was i'm I'm fully patting myself on the back the the holy land (laughs) podcast boys know what's up they know what's going on it was game one we're right in the ballpark you know it's we don't we don't even need to warm up we're ready at least one of us does um favoring you but in any event uh let's get in here why don't we uh well i'll uh, i'll let you leave I, th- I think you've got a better uh grip on the questions than i do so why don't you uh why don't you help us take our first one here like you said you know we've revived the holy land pod twitter account that's at holy land pod so if you guys ever want to tweet us stuff and we'll talk about it on the podcast we're glad to have you so i tweeted out you know lots to talk about after our first win of the year give us your questions comments concerns overreactions and I'll try to get to you. So let's see what we got here. All right. First up, we got at Jeffrey Bach, who says, one, Justin Fields is good at football, to which I concur. And he yep. says, two, give Steel Chambers more touches going forward. And I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, but we could if Steel Chambers continues to, you know, average whatever he did today, like six yards per carry. He's better than everyone else besides uh, Jack Miller. Uh, we could see some more cash. I mean, he looked really good. He converted on a big, I think it was like third and 13, and they just kind of ran up the middle expecting to punt, and he picked it up. And that was a big play in the game. And so, like, Steel Chambers did look really good today. I, I do remember uh, him, and, you know, take this with a grain of salt because this was against Rutgers, but I remember he got a bit of extended burn in the Rutgers game last year. And I remember thinking that he, you know, especially because he was wearing that number 22, he he reminded me a lot of Derrick Henry just with an exponentially cooler name. Um, the, the other interesting thing is I think, I don't know where or how he's doing, but I believe Marcus Crowley was actually ahead of steel chambers in the running back rotation last season before he got hurt. So, um, I'm not sure where, uh, Crowley is in terms of progressing back from the injury he suffered last season, which I think was pretty significant. Um, but yeah, I don't. We didn't really see Ohio, even though we saw a pretty good, I, I wouldn't call it a, a timeshare because they definitely lean more on uh, Dobbins than they did on Teague, but they did a good job, I think, rotating Teague in a little bit. Um, but I, d- I do kind of hope that we see more of a split between Teague and Sermon, just given the different kind of roles they fulfill. And I don't necessarily know where Chambers fits into that, but I think the guy is definitely a very good um, between the tackles power runner, even at this stage. And, you know, if they if they really want to lean on someone that could be a big, sturdy goal line back from them, and they don't necessarily want Teague plowing in at 100 miles an hour into the line in those goal line situations. I think that would be a good way to utilize Chambers is just really is that firm uh, runner where where you need to just plow ahead for two or three yards that he's going to be able to get it. Although one other thing we did see today is that in those short yard situations, they were not afraid to do the quarterback sneak with Justin Fields. And he's very, very good at that. So I don't mind going that way at all. Um, but there's a few different ways I think that they approach converting those short yardage situations. And, you know, Steel Chambers can be another guy for them that uh, gives them a weapon to make sure that they convert those. I'm all for it. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm currently watching, you know, Indiana try to lose this game as quickly <laughs> as they can. But actually, they're, you know, Ohio State fans are going to be interested in this because Indiana is leading with four minutes left and they have the football. They're up six. So we'll see how that turns out. Anyway, yeah. to the rest of the, we got a couple more running back-esque questions. Um, Seth Tony also said more steel chambers. Uh, so that's as similar as the other one. Uh, Hinteractive says overreaction. Trey Sermon is overrated and isn't as good as we thought he was. And I'm glad you labeled it as an overreaction because I think it's a little early to be declaring guys overrated. I think Trey Sermon will probably be just fine. I mean, he ended today as the leading rusher and he wasn't, he didn't look amazing, but I don't think he looked bad. No, he, he looked better to me than Teague did, honestly, which is why I was kind of surprised that Teague, um, you know, got, got the start more of the early burn than Sermon did. I don't think Sermon necessarily got to show what he was more, most effective with either. He's not. I don't think he's the best between the tackles runner on this team. I still think that's going to be Teague based on what we saw last season. Um, but Sermon definitely fulfills more of a dynamic role that I think this team is going to need going forward. Um, just in terms of giving defenses a look that they haven't necessarily seen before. Um, so I don't think we've seen the full potential of Sermon yet. I do think that he's got a lot of valuable experience. I mean, he's played next to two different Heisman Trophy winners, and you know, hopefully, he's going to make it a third this season. So the guy is, the guy's got a lot of valuable experience, and you know, maybe a bit more tread on the tires than I think most people at his position would have at this stage. But I, he he's a very capable, excellent running back. He was one of. I'm not. Uh, he he was certainly one of, if not the best transfer player that I think a team got this year. Um, from you know just one major positional player switching uh, schools. So I'm I'm very very encouraged. Um, you know just just by the potential that he has. And even though we didn't get to see the full suite of his abilities today, again, you know we you don't want to show your full hand in the first game of the season, particularly against Nebraska. Still got what eight more Big Ten games to go before we even get to the Big Ten championship, and you know they start considering teams for the college football playoffs. So there's there's a lot of football left to be played, and I definitely think Sermon's best days are ahead of him. So I, I really don't mind what we saw today at all, and frankly, I, I I don't think it merits calling him overrated either. All right, I think we'll hit on two more here. I got I'm gonna save this one for last because I feel like it's a good way to close out the podcast. So first. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Bren Sweet says, do you think Nebraska was coached to go for the head on every tackle or are they all just lunatics? Um, I don't think it was on purpose. I don't think there's any bad blood between these two teams, especially, you know, with the the bond they shared getting the Big Ten back. They were the two most vocal voices. I think it was just, you know, speed of the game, first game, you know, their tackling has, is not really good. So I think they're just trying to hit hard to make sure they finish tackles. And I don't think there was any malice or they're trying to hurt people. I don't think they were going for the head on purpose. No, I I think that there definitely has to be an adjustment with the targeting rule, if not necessarily in how it's called, then at at the very least in the punishment. I think that throwing guys out of games um, is just it it just seems too extreme in a lot of these cases where you're you especially with the amount of time that's allotted to these replays. And today in particular, I think was even though maybe a bit of an anomaly, I mean, a lot of these targeting reviews, I mean, they just were taking, I mean, what seemed like ages, it was so long. And when you look at it for that long, it's fairly apparent where you can tell if there's intent or not. And even, you know, in the rare instances where there, there is intent that you can see, there's still rare. 
And a lot of these plays, and especially in the case of Nebraska today, I mean, it just seemed like they were bang-bang plays. It's guys that are reacting to quick catches that are coming from throws over the middle that are just trying to hit guys that are, you know, coming on crossing routes. And they're they're just reacting. They're trying to make a play on the ball, and they're trying to force an incompletion, and they're not necessarily trying to hurt other people on the other team. And I think that that was, for the very, you know, big majority of the the hits that we saw today that were either under review for targeting or ultimately called for targeting, uh, that's what happened. So I, I do empathize with Nebraska a fairly you know decent amount given how much they were on the bad end of that today. And if you're an Ohio State fan, I hope you can sympathize that with you. Um, you know, given how much that has adversely affected Ohio State in recent years, uh, in more than a few big games. But I, I, I just think that the punishments need to be adjusted, whether it's scaling back to taking guys out for a quarter instead of a whole game or removing that stipulation where if you get you know called for targeting in the second half of a game, you have to sit out the next first half of the game, too. I don't really think that makes a whole lot of sense. I just think that they need to lighten up a little bit in terms of how aggressively they're punishing guys for you know reacting or what are ultimately just bang, bang plays. Yeah, personally, I've always felt that the NCAA should move to kind of the NBA flagrant rules where there's a targeting one and targeting two. So like a targeting one is just, you know, incidental contact. It's still the 15 yards, but the guy gets to stay in the game. And then targeting two is like there's intent, like you're spearing, you're going to hurt the guy. Like it's it's there's malice there, and that's when you get thrown out. But I think that, like you said, like throwing out for – because the two guys that got thrown out on Nebraska are now out for their first half of their next game. It's pretty extreme. And so there should definitely be levels to targeting. But yeah, I don't think there was any – nothing was done on purpose today by Nebraska. I, I really felt for that one guy. I can't remember who it was on Nebraska, but when they cut away to him and he was just you know in tears on the bench because he had just gotten thrown out for doing something that I think he had you know really just been coached on, I mean, you could tell it was not malicious. And I, I, I really did feel for the guy. And I think on the very next play, uh, Olave had his fumble. And Olave took a shot to the head that forced the fumble that was shoulder to helmet that was not called for targeting and couldn't be reviewed for targeting uh, because they were reviewing it for the fumble instead. And it just I I think it really just illustrated the chasm, I guess, that exists uh, with respect to how this is officiated in terms of consistency. And it, it just really that something's got to give and it's it's obviously you know with the season already well underway elsewhere and it's just getting kicked off here it's not going to get resolved uh in 2020 but i would really hope that given this has been around for about what five years now that they've been you know seriously trying to reduce these targeting hits out of the game they would really just have a you know a, a come to consciousness moment and they would come together at the end of the season and say all right how are we going to address this rule in a way that enforces player safety without necessarily adver- you know adversely affecting defensive players that are you know really just trying to do their jobs and not really coming from a place of malicious intent. So it'll be interesting to see how that rule keeps evolving as it's you know still kind of in its infancy. Yeah, college football targeting has been a mess as uh, Indiana has officially gone full Indiana and are now trailing by one with 230 left. Oh, so no. full Indiana game we have in progress in Bloomington. All right, but anyway, uh, we'll get to we'll get to Penn State when we do our preview later this week. Watch out for that. And so we'll, we'll close. I think it's a good place to close. Uh, Rising Buck says, so after this, does OSU move to number one, two, or three? They said, I'd probably say three, only because of fewer games and rust, but shouldn't be any lower. The talent level is evident. George, after watching what you watch today, where do you think that Ohio State lands in the grand scheme of college football rankings? Uh, as long as they're in the top four, I honestly don't care. Um, I, you know, they're, they're, they've only played one game. 
if you want to make the argument that they haven't played enough people yet, I think that that's relatively fair. I think that they probably would have had a, a higher preseason ranking if they had gotten to start at the same time as everyone else. But I think that it's going to become fairly evident as the season rolls on that there's three very elite teams in this sport this year in Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And then there's the other guys. And I, I'm not sure who's going to round out into that fourth seed of the college football playoff. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that expect it will be Georgia. But if Georgia makes the SEC championship again and loses to Bama again, and Bama's still number one, I mean, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are wondering, are you really going to want to see Alabama-Georgia a third time if Georgia's going to be that fourth seed? So I, I'm, I'm not optimistic it's going to be Georgia or even another second SEC team, given how allergic we've seen that conference is to playing defense this year. But I, I, would, I, I think in an ideal world, you see Ohio State move up to three. But I, I'm not going to get bent out of shape about uh, AP rankings or what have you, because we're still technically in the infancy of Ohio State season relative to everyone else. So I'm hoping for three. Um, obviously, I don't expect them to drop down after this performance. But if they don't end up moving up from you know five to, to four or three, I don't think that at this stage it's something where you necessarily have to be super vocal about it and get upset. There's a lot of football left to be played, and this team is more than capable of proving that they belong where they ultimately, I think, will be. Yeah, if you're if we're stressing AP ratings at this this stage in the game, it's going to be a long season for you. There's a lot bigger things yep. to worry about, but I do I do think that Ohio State will wind up at three. I think that, like you said, it, it's clear that the top three teams in the country are. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, and I think they'll now that they've played and the voters that have ridiculously left them out of the AP poll will now put them in. I think they'll be up to three because I believe the only reason that they're five right now is because people haven't put them in. So like everyone that's voting for them had them three, and then the people that weren't voting for them at all dropped them down a few spots because of that. So I think they'll be three just out of like just because that's where people had them ranked already. They just weren't there because people left them off the ballot. But now they'll obviously be on the ballot after playing a game, and I do think we'll see them at three. I don't think they did anything. They obviously didn't do anything to drop down. They won fifty-two to seventeen, and I don't. But I don't think they did anything really to jump Clemson or Alabama because they've played more games and they've both looked pretty dominant on the way. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a more than fair analysis, and uh, I didn't allude to it earlier either. But I, I actually really do like the way that you kind of reframed the way the targeting rule should work. So uh, yeah, kudos to you for that one too. In any event, I, I do think that that's a good place to close. Um, I think we did cover about every uh, question people had for us on the Twitter account this week. So uh, I want to want to thank everyone for sending in their responses uh, in the immediate aftermath of this game. Ohio State takes down Nebraska 52-17 in their opener and uh, a lot of encouraging signs, a few things for improvement, but uh, definitely some good things to uh, feel about going into the Halloween game against Penn State in primetime next week. So uh, we will have a preview show up, uh, I believe, Wednesday that will go over that, uh, what can, what we can expect and what to look out for. And uh, yeah, so keep posted for that. And uh, we want to thank you for tuning in to hang out in the Holy Land episode two for the year 2020. And uh, we will be back in your ear on Wednesday with more on the Ohio State Penn State game. So for uh, Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thank you very much for tuning in. Check out our uh, other analysis this week going up on LandGrantHolyLand.com. And uh, yeah, come back for come back on Wednesday for more hang out in the Holy Land. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you then. Take care. See you guys.